Welcome to episode 30 of Our Pays Me. This time I have Tyler Simmons, an award-winning filmmaker, public speaker, and mental health advocate. We talk about his film projects, about where he grew up, the intersection of masculinity and mental health in the black community, and we also dig into my personal journey with mental health. This is a deep one. It's a little longer than usual, but it's a very important uh, subject matter, so I hope you enjoy. Oh, how could I forget? I have a shout out this week. Sarah McNeil said that she really likes what I'm doing with the podcast, so thank you for listening, Sarah. I appreciate it. She's at Sarah McNeil Portrait on Instagram. Check out her work. And yeah, let's get into the episode. What up, artist? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast, and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity and you know, maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. Tyler, welcome to Art Pays Me. It's been a long time coming. I actually wanted you on uh, my previous podcast, so I'm glad to finally connect with you and uh, we can dig into the stuff that you do. So what is it exactly that you do? What exactly is it that I do? Um... I do a lot. I do. Um, I do filmmaking. I do uh, public speaking, and I work at Lang House as a peer support worker. Um, all of the things I think are connected in some way. Um, I try to talk about mental health. Um, Specifically, I try to um, raise awareness on mental health in the black community. Um, And a lot of the work that I do is to basically just inspire people and motivate people to become better versions of themselves. Mm. And and I remember, I think I first came across you as a filmmaker, Mm. yeah yeah maybe so so like you seem like so when people look at your instagram account for instance you you're you're one of those people that kind of screams like um multi uh multiverse creative in terms of like you could tell your interests are, are spread in multiple directions it really comes off that way uh is would would that be kind of accurate? Oh yeah, for sure. It's um like even with fashion, I'm like very into fashion. Um, like every anything that can, like like any way that I can express myself creatively, I'm into it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a very difficult thing to do organically. I find. Some people could do try it and it looks crazy. Some and, and yeah. not everyone can do it in a way that makes it fit, right? Mm-hmm. So I think you do that well. So congrats to you for that. Thanks. Uh, appreciate it. So um, where did you grow up? North Preston. Okay. Yeah, I grew up 
<clears throat> my first and I lived there for most of my life. Um, actually, just recently, I moved out of North Preston, like, earlier this year, it was. Okay. And um, strong community, still very much so connected to it. And a lot of the work that I'm doing, it's, um, it's definitely to help my, help build the community. Right. Yeah. Right. Funny. Like when I first came here, that's where people automatically assumed I was from. <laughs> They're like, where are you from? You're from North Preston? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was it like growing up in North Preston? Um, I've been talking about this a lot lately, um, but it's, it was, it was really good in ways because of the, um, because everybody knows each other mm. and it's like a big family. So it's basically as a young kid and as a early teen, it was really, it was really comfortable living there. Like, um, being around everybody that you know. And um, whenever you need somebody, you can just basically go into the home next door or down the street. Like, we're all cousins. and um, But then it got to a point where in my late teens, I started to see the issues of mental health in the community. Mm. Um, and I also started to see things like how religion, um, the church was affecting the community in ways that people, other people couldn't see or other people were kind of probably just ignoring. Um, because in North Preston, the faith is like, it's really strong and um, religion is pretty big. Um, but it would get in the way of people who had mental illness or people who were homosexual. Um, like, they would, the main thing was like, pray it away. Right. And I had a big issue with that when I was a teenager. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So did you feel like uh, almost ostracized or like an outsider for having this view? Yeah. I, um, I remember telling my mom that I felt like, I was from a different planet. Like <laughs> I just felt so um, just so different from everybody too, because I always was vulnerable and open with um, or wanting to be vulnerable at least. Um, 
but there was always this um, this hard facade that I felt I had to put on because of the community that I was from. Um, yeah, and I would always bring up these different ideas to my parents and to my brothers and eventually I got to a point where I just started feeling like I was crazy because in my head I was like it makes no sense to just pray away a mental illness or pray away like being a homosexual and stuff and Mm -hmm. like I'm not homosexual but like I had friends that were and so it was affecting me and um but in their minds um not in my entire family's minds but in some people's minds it seemed like they were like like they felt that it was okay to feel this way Mm -hmm. and it just didn't make sense to me yeah would you say to you know i've thought about this as well and um in terms of how the black community in general and i guess you know folks were generalizing here because not everyone's the same uh we can only speak from our personal experiences so i'll just preface it with that but in my experience i've also seen that and I grew up in Bermuda, so a completely different mm-hmm. uh, country and culture, but similar. And it's a very religious island. And uh, a lot of those kind of same thoughts uh, came up, but also the idea that um, being a man is not letting feelings interfere with stuff, not letting your emotions um, be present all the time. And, uh, it can be challenging, especially as a young person, when you're trying to figure yourself out, uh, and you feel pain, you start to express it and it's not always received in a way that you would hope. So then you start to train yourself to be hard and and not express it as much. And that, that ultimately is not healthy. And you see the results of that in some extreme cases when people resort to criminality and other activities. Um, yeah, actually, and this reminds me of uh, a session I went to with you and Verena Rizk uh, about like masculinity and how that ties into, do you feel like the masculinity and, and mental health issue kind of are connected when it comes to that? Yeah, for sure. Um, and really, I can only speak from my experience, but also um, also just seeing different people over the years. Um, it's definitely connected, and that's one thing that's really big in the Black community. It's um, like growing up in feeling like we have to be heard. Um, Being told that we're not supposed to cry. um, 
that we're not supposed to show emotion. And then that turns into us being angry. Right. And, and when we're in pain and we're going through something that hurts, instead of us crying like we probably should, or um, just being soft like we probably should, we yeah. end up being angry and sometimes people end up um, like lashing out and doing things that we shouldn't do. And it's mainly because we weren't really taught how to be vulnerable because we were always taught boys will be boys. Um, and women, I feel, or well, most women, <clears throat> they kind of were told that it's okay to be vulnerable since they were kids and we weren't taught that. Mm -hmm. So, and even when it like comes to like relationships, yeah, it'd get to a point where you're like, like even me, like in my relationship, like it's like I'm seeing that my partner has so much, um, so much experience being vulnerable and mm -hmm. I don't have that experience. Like, so it's this, it can end up being, um, really tough in relationships if guys aren't able to acknowledge that we haven't been, um, showing our emotions in the right way. And we've been really getting angry and lashing out when we are hurt. Um, yeah, like it's important for us to notice that in ourselves so we can have healthy relationships and healthy masculinity. Yeah. Because that leads to a lot of depression yeah yeah and also if you interesting you mentioned that too i feel like well it's not it's not i feel like it's actually studies have been done about it uh and my wife was actually a teacher in north Preston for a while too and a lot of uh mental health issues i don't know if you would uh, you've experienced this as well, but some mental health issues in the black community present themselves differently than they do in other communities. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes we may be exhibiting depression symptoms, but our depression symptoms look different. So it's not considered depression. It's considered uh, something else, bad behavior or, yeah. uh, you know, and it's the reaction ends up being punitive instead of uh, just help, love, support. Yeah. Like and I, um, like, a lot of the work that I'm doing right now, because I'm going to be working on a film on North Preston soon, and I'm really deep into black mental health mm -hmm. and realizing this healthcare system, it's not set up for us and it's not, um, 
like black people don't feel safe usually don't feel safe going to see a therapist or a psychiatrist um, or going to um, like a mental health clinic and there's reasons behind that like um, even me working in the healthcare system it's not very I can say that it's not very culturally competent Mm. Um, and they'll do these courses on cultural competency, but it's still not. And they, I, I feel like a lot of these healthcare professionals need to go into the communities and meet them where they are instead of expecting them to come to them because a lot of black people are afraid to um, see white clinicians with good reason. Mm-hmm. That goes back to um, our history. Like, there's a reason why black people are going to trust white clinicians, and it makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. It's it's a shame, though, because I feel like we could experience so much more growth in that. In, in Do you ever feel like with the work you're doing, it could, because I know it, sometimes expecting the system to change, the system may never change. So do you feel like the work you're doing is maybe helping young people who are or even maybe even older people realize that, hey, maybe I could talk to someone or maybe I should reach out to a clinician. Yeah, definitely. Like that's one thing that um, I think that's a big reason of why I continue to do um, even the work that I do at Langhouse, mainly because people have come and said that to me, like in North Preston, people have come and said that to me and said things like, thank you for finally talking about this. Um, or, Oh, I go through the same thing. I just didn't put a name on it. Um, and that feels good because I feel like when people are dealing with something and, somebody who looks like them or somebody that they know openly speaks about it. It makes it so much easier for them to reach out for help too. Right. I I definitely remember having like some of those negative ideas of, you know, uh, seeking health help for your mental health and thinking, Oh, that's white people shit. Like we don't, we don't deal with that. Like, and um, it's not, <laughs> it's really, it's really not. Um, I actually, as an art, so we could talk, I'm going to talk about from the art side of it. I used to think for a long time, I was just an angry, I, I, I didn't lash out in anger, but I was just angry a lot, especially growing up. And I was sad a lot growing up. And even as a young adult, didn't really understand it. 
And I used to also think, though, that that pain I felt was an imperative part of my artistry. So part of me didn't want to let go of it because I felt like it motivated me and made me a better artist. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until, not that I had a super like crazy low or breaking point, but you know, I had a, I had small children and a wife and I was just like to see them not be happy because of things. My behavior was like, Oh, I mean, it's, it, this is bigger than just me now. It's bigger than just my creativity and, and everything yeah. else. And I really, you know, my wife was like, you need to go talk, go like seek some help. So that's when I started to really pay attention more closely to my mental health. And I was diagnosed with uh, generalized anxiety. And, you know, the, I was told I was exhibiting signs of depression and all these other things. And I was like, whoa, like it opened my mind up. I was like, all this time, all those feelings I felt my whole life now makes sense. And uh, once I started to address it and started to work on finding some happiness and some peace, I was like, I can still create art and I don't have to be depressed all the time. Uh, and uh, it was such a, a a great moment. And it's not that I'm cured and uh, now I'm just happy all the time because I'm, I'm in a rough phase right now, to be honest. Um, yeah. <laughs> it just it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it's a lifelong thing, right? Uh, but the importance of taking that, uh, that taking it upon yourself to, to read. And the thing is no one can do the work for you. That's the other part. Like you have to kind of do it yourself. So, yeah. yeah. Did you ever feel that like your creativity was, is, is based on your, your angst and your depression? Man, when you were talking, I was thinking I was the exact same way. Mm. <laughs> I felt that way. And, um, I have a couple of friends who do art and we talk about this sometimes about how like the tragic, the um, tragic artist, the, um, and at a point I remember being like, Oh, I'm supposed to be depressed. I'm supposed to be this, um, this artist who is in pain and it's okay, even yeah. though I don't like this and this is hurting me and the people around me. Like this is how I'm supposed to be because this is how artists are. Like that's what my mind was thinking. And I feel like it's definitely something that happens in that keeps happening in, um, with artists because I think as artists we are generally more sensitive than most people and we um, like we look into things and we care about shit and yeah. we usually have empathy and compassion more so than like I would say someone that's um, like an executive or something like that. Um, so we 
so we deal with these things and probably every artist that I know deals with some type of mental illness. Mm. And like definitely every famous artist that I love um, had or has some type of mental illness. Yeah. And, um, and I remember <clears throat> when I was first um, trying to recover from like my depression and anxiety and my like suicidal thoughts that I was dealing with. I remember um, researching different artists that had these things and the list was so long. It was almost like every artist in the world, <laughs> like it was so long and um, something that actually really helped me was seeing the artists that dealt with things in ways that I didn't want to deal with things um, like the Kirk Cobains and the Basquiat's. And then I was seeing other artists that were addressing it in different ways and trying to, trying to um, be more healthy. Um, okay. And that actually motivated me, like seeing somebody like Kid Cudi, how he would, um, <clears throat> like how he would talk about his depression and his music all of the time. And um, then I would see like interviews of him talking about how he was trying to get better and how he was actually becoming like this mental health advocate and yeah. he didn't even realize that he was, but he was just speaking so openly about suicide and talking about how, how he was trying to get better and stuff like that. And that was something that actually motivated me because I didn't have people to look at like in person to be, that could be like, Oh, I went through this too. I had to kind of look on the internet and find people <laughs> that were like, Oh yeah, I went through this too. And you can get through it. Yeah. And you can be an artist in, get better <laughs> and you can still create good art. Yeah. I really connected with his music in that way as well. Um, it's he, I felt like he was speaking my language when the, the, uh, lone, um, uh, lonely stoner and it's all that, like stuff like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, like all this, this stuff that you've been doing, like you've started to become quite the mental health advocate in a very public way. So yeah. you've had done TEDx talks and you've been on Bell Let's Talk and part of that campaign. How do you, how does, how do you feel about that kind of thing? It's, um, yeah, it's good, but it's also, it's like I have social anxiety, <laughs> so it's, it's like, I'm glad that I can have the courage to get in front of 
um, large groups of people and inspire people and motivate people. But at the same time, I still have social anxiety. So sometimes I'm like, man, I just want to chill. I just want to like be alone. I don't, um, I don't really want to be this face of a campaign. Um, and with, even with Bellet's talk, I'll talk about that. Like when that opportunity came, I was going through a lot and I was, uh, like I got the email from them and they were telling me that they want me to be a part of the campaign and, my first thought was, oh, this is exciting. Oh, they want me to come to Montreal. They want me to be in this video. They're going to pay me to be in the video. They're going to pay for my flight and all this stuff. Um, and I met some really great people. And then the time of the Super Bowl comes, and I'm realizing that my face is being shown literally on the commercial breaks of the Super Bowl <laughs> and me being somebody who <clears throat> is really into film and has some business sense and like I know like over the years being um, like being my own brand, I had to figure out my value and stuff like that. And I had to focus on what my worth is. And I remember sitting back and watching my face before the Super Bowl and being like, wait, I'm not seeing anything from this. Like, they're showing my face before the Super Bowl and I'm getting random messages from people and some of the messages are like just trolls trolling me because they're seeing my face like because so many people are going to see me um and i'm getting all of these messages coming in and then i'm sitting back and i'm thinking like wait bell didn't really like they're not giving me any support for this. Mm. They know that I deal with mental illness. They like the commercial is specifically for mental illness. Yeah. I don't have any support to deal with people sending me like hate mail because people were actually sending me hate mail and like wow. saying things like I'm sick of seeing your face. Um, but Bell didn't, give me any support for that. Um, and then I took some time to think about it and I'm like, this feels like, this feels like a huge corporation with tons of money is using me to push their message. And I don't feel safe. And that's a big thing for me right now. I'm like, if I'm working with anybody now, um, 
I've even had this conversation with Langhouse like last week. Um, I deal with mental illness and I speak about it to a large group of people. A lot of people know me for it and that can be a good thing, but that can also be a bad thing. Yeah. So I, so I'm like, I need to feel safe. I need, if I'm um, working with somebody, if I'm partnering with people, I need to feel safe. And that was what I actually um, sent this really long email to Bell and I um, got on the phone with them and I was telling them like, you need to make us feel safe if we're doing this work for you because this can be emotionally taxing for us. Like we're putting ourselves out there for the world to see. Yeah. And I don't know, at least, and I actually said this to them. I was like, at least give us more money. (laughs) Like we know how much money bill has. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, this is an excuse for them. And that look, for me, anything that's going to help a cause is is great. But at the same time, I'm in business. I understand content marketing. And this is an excuse to put their brand in front of tons of people. Yeah, um, 100%. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> you, you're making a, a very valid point. And we kind of talked about this a while a while ago as well, just this idea of you becoming a public person. I was sort of just starting to become a little bit public too. And I was starting to get a lot of people in the creative community reaching out to me. And then it got to a point where it's overwhelming. Like I can't, I can't help all of you. I'm starting to break down myself now. Yeah. Uh, And uh, I can only imagine how the magnitude that you, of that kind of stuff you would have experienced at that level crazy yeah as well i um i definitely it was a really big problem for me at a point um like i was receiving messages like daily and they were really long messages and they were going into detail people telling me about things they went through um like as a kid and trauma that they dealt with and I was reading all of this stuff while trying to help people in my life Mm -hmm. that um, have relationships with um, and while trying to do the work that I'm doing at Langhouse. And it got to a point where I'm like, it's impossible. Like, I'm just going to burn out if I keep doing this. So what I had to do was just set up some, really firm boundaries and be like, um, and not even reaching, not even like putting it out there that I'm being this way, but just knowing in my mind, like, Oh, if I get a bunch of messages after a talk, I'm only going to read like a select few, or I'm probably not even going to read any of them, or I'm going to, if I know that it's getting heavy, mm. I'll probably read like 
a line or two of it and then I'll comment back like saying, thank you so much for coming to my talk. Um, and just letting them know that I appreciate them. Mm. Like I can't take on all that stuff because I had my own stuff to deal with. Yeah. 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 I, I'm, I, yeah, (laughs) I know that feeling, man. I could, I, I feel that emotion deeply when people hit me up and I just, I take it on. I got, and I, I feel it seems cold to some people, but I just get to a point where I can't look at things. I just, I just can't. Yeah. And the thing is, um, and I know that I've offended some people by doing that too. And you get, you just got to get to a point where you're like, you know what? If they're offended, that's on them. Mm-hmm. And on me. Yeah. I'm just trying to go for me right now. Yeah. So you have a film called in your, in my mind. So what's it about? Yeah, that's, um, that's a film that I did in 2016. I think it was. Oh, it was a while ago. Yeah. Um, I think it was 2016. Um, yeah. And that's about, it's basically, it was basically about a day of my it's basically about a day in my mind, a day of me um, dealing with extreme social anxiety and major major depressive disorder that I was diagnosed with and suicidal thoughts. So it's um, it's a short film that just literally touches on these three diagnoses that I was diagnosed with um, when I was like 19 Mm. and um, yeah, it's, it's pretty heavy, but it's, it's very real. And I'm really proud of it because I didn't hold back. And it's and even when I was doing the film, um, because I, directed it and I acted in it. Mm. Um, and when I was acting, I actually had to take myself back to that space where I was suicidal and stuff. So it was pretty, um, it was pretty tough to do. Mm. Um, but I, I really love that film because it, because it's real and it's raw and I really, put myself in that position. Like when we were filming that, I remember I even had, um, I brought a, um, art director on and she was like, also, she was also kind of like the, um, assistant director, Isabel. And it was really cool because, before we start shooting, I was like, okay, I'm taking myself there (laughs) and I need you to just keep an eye on me. And she was really good at doing that. She, um, she would see when I was stressed out and she would take over some of the directing and she would like pull me to the side sometimes and kind of just bring me back to where I needed to be. Um, Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, the one thing you don't want to do is that to trigger something more serious that you can't. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about was boys don't cry collab with uh, Beasley. Yeah. So uh, that was cool. Yeah. I love doing that. Um, Beasley is, I feel like we're similar in ways. Um, and I just love working with people that, um, I see similarities in and, um, it was cool because it, I feel like it opened a few new doors for me to talk about masculinity too. Mm. And it also, um, helped me look at, look deeper at myself and check my toxic masculinity because much like depression and anxiety, I feel like toxic masculinity isn't something that I can just fix. Um, it's something that I'm continuing, continuously working on. And I, I still have to check myself about these things. Uh, 100%. Uh, I'm in the same boat. I'm often advocating for women and stuff like that. And then every now and then I catch myself like slipping back into thought processes that are toxic or, you know, my wife would even question, are you saying that because of this or because of that? And I'd be like, uh, I don't know. And then I'd have to think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing though I've I found interesting though is I and I, I actually try to pass this on to my daughters. <laughs> um one I don't know if it's a positive or not, but I I and I don't even know if you consider it toxic or not. But one part of the the toughness thing in in uh the mas in masculinity is when playing sports. So I've coached my daughters in basketball and I play basketball. And um, there's this point when I feel like I want to give up. And I've been told in my life that, you know, that toughness is a masculine trait or whatever, where yeah. you want to push yourself beyond. But now I'm starting to realize, like, you know, it's not a masculine trait. It's, it's a human trait. And exactly. I really try to put it on my daughters and say, look, I understand you're in pain right now. I understand that you don't, you want to give up, Well, not pain because they're playing, they're little girls. Like they're not playing that serious. But it's, um, it, it's like pain in terms of, I know you want to give up right now, uh, but I need you to push through and you'll be okay. And that toughness will, will help you develop character in the long run. So those kind of things that I feel like sometimes we don't always give our daughters and say uh, it's okay to, to deal with a certain amount of pain because it's going to pay off. We tell our sons all the time, they have to suck it up and not. So my whole thing is like, yeah, feel the pain, acknowledge it. Let's move on. You know? Um, That's so real. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's amazing that you, um, that you see that because, um, like that's something I didn't 
really think much about, but that's so real. Um, I, I remember being told playing sports, like suck it up all the time. And yeah. um, I remember when having girls on my team, the coach being like, like treating them totally different and kind of telling them to not push themselves too far and stuff like that. Um, it's really weird <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because re- being resilient is a human trait. It's not like this masculine or feminine thing. And there's a way to go about um like there's a way to go about helping people or encouraging people to be resilient. I feel like saying suck it up is not the mm-hmm. best way to go about it. I think like encouraging them and being like, <clears throat> like what you were saying and just telling them, yeah, you can get through this. It's going to be okay. Like that's how you can encourage people to be resilient but I definitely feel like um, girls growing up are often not told to keep going and that it's going to be okay. And they're told things like, oh, yeah, you should you should just sit down now or you should just um, take care of yourself. Um, and as boys, I feel like usually we're never told that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it comes to sports. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it, that's where I see it presenting itself a lot. And I, I maybe too, I, I listen to a lot of, uh, women centered podcasts too. So I'm almost getting an insight of what it's like from the adult mind and how that, that mentality translates into the, I'm just like a fly in the wall because they're talking about how they feel in professional settings. And I'm like, wow, that just reminds me of when I see, uh, like you said, in these coaching situations where people are telling the female athletes that they can, they don't have to push as hard as as they might tell the male athletes. Um, Yeah. So in terms of like, any advice you might give a creative uh, that might be dealing with mental health? What what would be your biggest piece of advice? Um, My biggest piece of advice would be um, to know that to know that getting help isn't going to, um, it's not going to make you less creative. Um, for me, it's actually helps my creativity. Um, and to make sure that you surround yourself with people that support you and make you feel safe because I think being an artist and dealing with mental health issues, it can get, like we can get into the zone and we can 
like for me, for instance, I can, when I get into the zone, I'm in the zone and I'm just in my own world. (laughs) And sometimes it's good to feel that safety. It's good to know that people have my back. If I, um, if something happens, if I am getting passionate and I don't know, someone's like, I don't know, someone's trying to approach me because I'm um, getting really passionate, but this is just me and I'm probably under a ton of pressure and stress and probably a bit depressed right now. Um, It's good to have people that um, that are there for you and that are like, okay, be creative. I got your back. I'll take care of the stuff that you don't have time to take care of. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. It's really important. I'm figuring out, um, this year, especially how important that is. Hmm. I'm still working on that one. I'm very much a lunar and I, I take on a lot of the pressure myself. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was the same way for um, basically, basically my entire life. And like this year, I got to a point where um, I actually got like confronted by people and people actually wanting to physically fight me and stuff like that. And like, I had like stalkers, I was getting hate mail, people spreading false rumors about me and stuff like that. It was a lot. So I, yeah, it was a lot. So a lot of visits to my therapist and, um, then a lot of visits to people from my community that I know would make sure that I feel safe. And I'm definitely grateful to have people in my corner now that are like, we know that you're trying to build us up. So we're going to do a better job at making sure you're okay. Which kind of sounds like some mafia type of stuff, but (laughs) it's needed when people are out here in the trenches trying to um trying to build up the community i feel yeah like we need to be protected and feel safe it's hard man the more public you make yourself the more of a target you become and it sucks it's it's weird but yeah it's this human thing that we do and especially i find it's like especially when you're in the public and you're known for being vulnerable because I feel like people are going to try you even more because they're like, Oh, this guy's soft. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But that's where my toxic masculinity kicks in. Cause I love it when they try to think I'm soft and then I go, I go toxic male on them and want to fight. <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. Man. I don't, but I, I know what you mean, though. I know what you mean. Uh, I just get that. And, um, yeah, my my girlfriend, Kylie, has definitely uh, had to check me on that a few times. Yeah, 
All right. Cause it's like you, you, that, that switch clicks off and you're like, Oh really? This is where we're going to go. And then you, you have to like get yourself back down. Like, 100%. yeah, it is. You just, there's no wind um, in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. So what's next for you? You have any big things um, planned? Um, yeah, I got, I actually have a lot planned. I, um, just thinking about it is kind of overwhelming, but (laughs) I have, well, in October I have, I'm working on, I'm working on a film for Langhouse for the masquerade ball that we do every year. Um, and I'm also, I have a few talks in October. And then I'm, I actually am getting a grant for the film on North Preston that I'm doing in October too. Cool. Uh, and yeah, I'm really excited about that. I already been <clears throat> like meeting up with different people in the community and figuring out who I want to be a part of it. And like, I, yeah, I just wanted to be something really special and include a lot of people in it. Just a lot of creative people, a lot of passionate people and just make North Preston look a way that people have never seen it. look. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a beautiful community people wise and like location wise. I, yeah. I've, I've been thinking myself, like, it's only a matter of time for the gentrifiers figure out, hey, yo, what the hell is up here? This is beautiful. Like, and, yeah. and start trying to get in here. I feel like it's going to happen at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, but, once they realize it's there, because of, like the, ur- the way the urban sprawl is working, like it's, it's like Lake Major and all that stuff, it's pretty out there. Yeah. But we definitely, um, we definitely aren't gonna let some people just come in. And <laughs> I think, I think people, I think, I think they know that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Tyler. Well, I appreciate you for for doing this. So, where can people find you online? Um, people can find me at Tyler Simmons on everything, basically. Instagram, Twitter, TylerSimmons.com. Um, yeah, that's where people can find me. Um, can shoot me an email at info at TylerSimmons.com. And find my work on YouTube. Um, basically, just search Tyler Simmons. <laughs> because cool. I like even with YouTube, I don't really have. I have a YouTube channel, but not all of my work's on there. So I'm still trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. None of us have our work where it should be, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time someone's like, Oh, what's your, where's your portfolio? Can you send me your portfolio? I'm like, ah, oh, no, here we go. Here we go again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I get people um, that are like, Oh, send me your speaking resume. And I'm like, Ah, man. (laughs) That's tough. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, Tyler, thanks again for doing our page me. Uh, I think a lot of people will get um, something out of this. So I'm, I'm really excited to release it. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, haven't talked to you in a really long time, so this feels good. Thank you so much for listening to the Art Pays Me podcast. Thank you to Langy Beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets, and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at artpaysme.com or at artpaysme on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.